rubbing elbows Getting closer to the stars Rubbing elbows You don't have to listen from afar Close as a whisper As clear as day Rubbing elbows Rubbing elbows Rubbing elbows As the music plays As the music plays Everything good that ever happened in my career happened at the other end of a microphone. Interviewing, finding amazing stories. But to me, the ultimate thrill for me in my career, professionally, with a microphone in my hand, is to sing. What you won't do, do for love. You've tried everything, but you don't give up. In my world. I thought another voice was all about, you know, finding Roy's voice and for Roy. It's a very special voice. It's a very unique, it's a very personal sound that he has. And um, that was the journey of this record. To be wrong, to be right, tell me lies, but hold me tight. Save your goodbyes for the morning light But don't let me be lonely tonight And I, I knew obviously he's a legendary sports announcer and journalist and uh, but to see his, his see his vocal chops and your range really I was very impressed Whenever you call me came together we started working on the CD and uh, I was kind of blown away by Roy's voice and you will be too I want her everywhere and if she's beside me I know I need never care but to love her is to need her has it inside him so as a producer all I said was just tell the stories you know, and and be simple because everything about you will happen and, and you won't even realize it because it's simply there and I think that is that voice I love to sing singing is a big part of my life it always will be music is a huge part of my life and I hope the folks get a chance to enjoy another voice
Are you ready to get some exclusive behind the scenes stories about some of music's biggest named songwriters and artists? Well, we have good news for you. You are there. That's right, you are there. Rubbing Elbows is your VIP ticket to this experience. Our host, Don Ellis Gatlin, has rubbed elbows with some of the biggest named artists on the planet. He knows things about these artists that they may not even know about themselves or remember. All you have to do is sit back, relax, and get ready to enjoy the conversation and music as you are our guest on the proverbial green room of podcasts, Rubbing Elbows. And now, Don, the show is yours. It was 55 years ago today. Sergeant Pepper taught the band to play. Hello, everybody. This is Don Gatlin. And while I'm here with my co-host, Raymond Hayden, and I have the most amazing, amazing guest today. Uh, it's a lot of pressure. I'm very nervous because, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinion, the greatest interviewer in the history of television. And he's with us, Roy Farstone. Well, the check is in the mail, Don. No, that's, so just, I'm not the only one who feels that way. Oh, no. I felt that I way. Agree. I felt that way. Uh, it's must-see TV. I, I get home from writing a song, hit the TV on, see who Roy's going to be interviewing. And uh, then and uh, fast forward 1994, I'm doing a big, big show in uh, uh, for Children's Hospital. And here comes Roy Firestone to perform. I'm going, wait a minute. Is going to be like uh, introducing somebody, the, the celebrities of it. No, Roy hits the stage and steals the show. I'm going, I, I mean, at that point, Roy didn't even know you were, you had such an unbelievable musical background and an unbelievable voice and talent. And I'm like, I no idea. He hits the stage, you know, thousands of people out there and just tears it up with uh, singing with his own voice of, of just crooning. And then you did uh, like amazing impersonations. Uh, including this amazing thing you do. Well, that's why I started the show with the little Beatles. You do an amazing tribute to the Beatles uh, in your show. Well, first of all, let me back up a little bit and ex- re-exchange my compliments to you, Don, and your band, Savannah Jack. Thank that you. Was at, least one of, at least one of the bands. I know you have a lot of bands, but Savannah Jack is the, sh- the band that I played right. with on a cruise ship. We went. We ended up in Peru, <laughs> and we we had to stay on that ship, as you remember, Don. This is just before COVID yes. hit, because there was a riot in Peru, and we, we we you lost a gig because we were stuck on that right. damn ship, and so did I. And that was about three years ago. I want to say maybe four. Gosh, I think it's three. Yeah. And um, I was so impressed. I, I want to say this about Don and Savannah Jack because I'm a big music fan, I'm a big country fan, I'm a Gatlin's fan, I know the whole story, uh, but I had no idea that Don had such a versatile show. He was doing Motown, he was doing country, he was doing rock. The reason he, it was so impressive is they were taking requests, so they couldn't have prepared anything, and as soon as the, the, some, somebody would say, I want to hear, uh, uh, you know, sitting on the dock of the band, just making something yeah. up, boom, they went right into it. I thought that was really impressive. And I got to share the stage with yes, Sean and his band. We got to do My Girl from The, the Temptations. Yes. 
And we got a chance to know each other, and that's what really kind of got us here today. But Don's a marvelous performer. Uh, he's a writer. He's a singer. He's a great musician. And I wanted to share with Don on the ship, which I did, my love for music. Now, everyone knows me for sports, and we'll talk some sports on this show. But I really think that the two are very, very closely aligned because I, I would say about 75 to 80% of the mus musicians I've ever met on, on a highest level were all sports fans. And I think it's because they, like athletes, have to put on a live performance. You don't get it back. It's not like you get take three on stage. Right. You can't. Just like an athlete can't take it back. Uh, I think they sit around in hotel rooms with between gigs watching sports. That's another reason. And, of course, sports is, is, is ingrained in American culture as much or more than pop music, I think. Yeah. And so the, the parallels are easy. But, boy, do we have some stories. Let's talk about the Beatles thing. First on... Tell the folks what we're, they're going to play, I think, a clip from this. Is that right, Ray? A little yes, bit sir. of it? Yeah, so absolutely. Set it, set, set it up a little bit, and then I want to tell the story, backstory to well, this, too. it's a major tribute. It's an impersonation in a sense, but it's also a tribute to the guys. Uh, it's a, it, you went to a lot of work on this, Roy. I mean, it's, it's a visual thing. Yeah. That's like I wish to be it's a it, We do a green screen, green screen effect on stage where I play the Twilight Zone, I did Rod Serling, what would happen if Roy Firestone replaced Paul McCartney in the Twilight Zone? And I do Rod Serling, I do all four Beatles talking about Roy Firestone <laughs> as if they would talk about me. And then I do the Ed Sullivan show, or I play Ed Sullivan, and then I sing. Let me just show you again, this is a, not a visual show, but I'm going to show for you guys. Yes. You can see this. <laughs> this, is, this is me as singing with Paul, with George. Yep. Oh my and God. There's another shot of this here. It was a great, a huge thrill to do this. We put it on green screen. Now, folks, folks can't see that, but it's a, it's a, uh, it's a mock-up of what I do on the live show. And, you know, we've got all kinds of licensing issues, but who cares? All my loving, a few bars of it, with the real Beatles. Uh, and this is what, what Don saw on the stage. It sort of blew his mind. So we'll play that and we'll come back. I'm Rod Serling. Submitted for your approval, Mr. Roy Firestone, a sports interviewer by trade. Like many of his generation, once caught up and consumed by a British invasion. Not one of muskets and taxes, but of long-haired rebels armed only with guitars and song. With a simple glitch of the universe, Mr. Firestone finds he switched places with a certain fab lad from Liverpool. Roy Firestone replaces Paul McCartney in the Twilight Zone. You know, the thing is, Roy was a better Beatle than I was a sportscaster. And I remember Roy getting off the plane in New York City. It was really unbelievable. He was waving to all the people like he was God or something. But the fact is, they loved him. They were shouting, Roy, 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 Roy. It was unbelievable to watch. I don't remember Roy at all. Roy Firestone really said some things at the press conference that turned us off. 
I thought the other day Ringo stole my wallet and I didn't tell him about it. Of course he knows. And George smells. Let's be honest, he really does. But it doesn't really matter. All that matters is we're together. And that's really the greatest thing about it of all. And then we had that great night on the Ed Sullivan Show, which I'll never forget. Here are four youngsters from Liverpool, England, who call themselves the Beatles. George, John, Ringo, and Roy. Let's welcome the Beatles! Close your eyes and I'll kiss you sports and vice versa and, and right. you know right now everyone's going crazy uh over mr tom cruise again with this amazing reboot uh i mean new t- uh top gun film and well you and mr glenn fry have something in common you starred in another gigantic um movie with tom cruise jerry Maguire. well i wouldn't say i don't know if i say stars it's a very important part of the film though that was an uh, absolutely well, awesome that, part uh, I'll try, I'm going to try to make this the quickest story I can, but I got an opportunity to do a scene in a movie called Jerry Maguire. I was not aware what to what extent this would even be seen because I've done a million movies, uh, maybe half a million, let's say. <laughs> but but I never make it. It's always on the cutting room floor. And it's usually, how do you feel, champ? You know, with a microphone. It's, you know, that kind of thing that never makes it. So they call me up. Uh, the guy's name was Cameron Crowe, the director. Yeah, the director. He said, we're, look, we're looking for a Roy Firestone type. 
And it sounded like an old joke. Well, we have Roy Firestone. Oh, no, we don't want him. We want him. But anyway, they, they did. They couldn't believe they, that I wasn't right, sitting right next to the guy who answered the phone. They give me the job. They give me the job. I, I go into the Sony studios, and I can't find the studio. I'm knocking on, literally knocking on doors because it said 23, 23A, 20, whatever it was at the Sony studios. I knock on the door. The door opens. It's Tom Cruise. He goes, hey, Roy Firestone. Wow, that's really strange. You don't expect to see Tom Cruise answer your door. Anyway, so he says, have you been with Cuba yet? So I said, well, I'm from Miami originally. I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, <laughs> Cuba Gooding. <laughs> he goes, what are you talking about? I said, Cuba. You said Cuba. He goes, no, Cuba. I said, yeah, Cuba. It took us about five minutes to figure out what the hell he was talking about. He was talking about Cuba Gooding, yes. who was not a big movie star yet. No. He would been in a couple other. He was in A Few Good Men. I think he was in a couple of yeah. other movies, but very small parts. Yeah. So I walked up to him. He had no idea who I was because he wasn't even a sports fan. Wow. Cuba, Cuba Gooding Jr. Okay. So you know the scene where he gets the big contract yes. on my show. By the way, Glenn Fry, as you mentioned, was also in, in the movie. Yes. It, it, there's so many He's things. He's coach. He's the coach of the Cardinals. Right. I just interviewed Troy Aikman two weeks ago. He was in the scene, too. So everybody knows the scene where I, I had, you know, you your father lost his leg in a, tra a, tra a tragic bass fishing accident. Now, I'm ad-libbing all this because they said just ad-libbing. Oh, that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And I, if you look at the film, you could still see Cuba Gooding started to break. He started to laugh because he didn't expect that to come. And I said, your father kept two, your mother had two jobs. I'm just doing the Roy Firestone thing. Yes. And he starts to crack up. And then we do the scene, and he grabs me at the end to hug me, as you see in the movie, but I wasn't ready for the hug. <laughs> and the, I was on a rolling chair on the set. I start to fall backwards because it's on a, on a, on a riser. And if, if there weren't two grips there to grab me, I would have fallen back on my head. I could have gotten killed on the damn thing. Oh, so we did the scene. We did only two takes. Your father leaves home on Christmas Eve, leaves your family all alone. And a mother had to sweep out the steps at a prison just to earn enough money for tuition for you. Your brother loses a leg in a tragic bass fishing accident. I mean, there's been a horrific list of things that have happened to you in your life. I'm not going to cry, Roy. <laughs> well, actually, we have some very good news for you. This has just been handed to me. A memo. It's signed. It's a contract. Guaranteed. Arizona Cardinals. Four years. 11.2 million dollars. You're going to get to play in Arizona where it all started. Finish up your career in Arizona. What do you think of that? You're militant, but I ain't mad at you. I ain't got nothing but love for you. I love my teammates. I'm, I'm leaving somebody out here, Roy. We, we only have a half hour on the show. I, I want to send some beautiful love out to my offensive Jerry. line. These are a fierce, beautiful, loving individuals. Nice to see you. Congratulations. Thank you. Woo! 
Good for you. Hey, Derek, how you doing? Remember Troy from the Super Bowl yeah, party? Sure. Hey, Jerry. I met 93. That's right. Good to see you. Yeah, enjoyed your memo. Thank you. Arizona Cardinal Thank you. Organization. You're a little slow, but you come around. Okay, we're almost out of time. Right now. We're <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm forgetting somebody. Jerry Maguire, my agent. You are my ambassador of Quan, man. Rod, thank you so much. Congratulations. Congratulations. By the way, what's really creepy but also awesome is actors can cry on a dime. On, yeah. on a dime, which is strange to me. But to never date an actor or actress, by the way, folks listening, because they can cry on demand and get their way. Yeah. Anyway, so we do the scene. I forget about the movie entirely. Eight months later, I get a phone call from my next door neighbor. He goes, oh, my God, I just saw Jerry Maguire. So I said, who's he? She goes, who's he? It's a movie you're in. I went, oh, you mean the movie I did with Tom Cruise that was in the scene? He goes, yeah. I said, did it make, did my clip make the show, the, the movie? He goes, make the movie. It's, it's a part of the movie you can't erase. Right. You can't cut it out. So I'm uh, next morning, I was at an 11 a.m. showing at Universal to see. I'm probably the only one in the theater. Show at, it's, the movie ends up winning Academy Awards and all kinds of stuff. So here's the P.S., and this is why this is, relates to the Beatles. I'm in Liverpool, England about another eight months later, but so about 16 months total after the movie was released. And we're at a reception. And it was Paul McCartney was supposed to be at the reception. We, he wasn't there at least the first part of the evening. So I'm sitting there talking to a friend. He goes, oh, my God, there's, as he says, there's, I turn around, and there's Paul McCartney by himself with, with his assistant. And he goes, I think I know you. I said, no, you don't. You definitely don't. I mean, thank you, Paul. I'm a huge, I'm a massive fan. But no, I know you from somewhere. And I said, I, I don't know. I, I, how could you know me? He goes, the movie. And the woman goes, yeah, he's talking about the movie. I went, oh, you mean Jerry Maguire? He goes, that's it. You're the guy who makes him cry. And I said, <laughs> right, right. I goes, did you enjoy the movie? He goes, I saw it 30 times because I had to place my music in the film. They, they used a couple yeah, of songs. Yeah, Junk's in it. Song Junk. Junk's yeah. in it, right. And he goes, I must have seen you 30 times. That's how I think I know you. He goes, he goes, what's your name? I said, my name is Roy. He goes, don't make me cry, Roy. Jesus. Now, Paul McCartney telling me at 3 o'clock in the morning, at 3 o'clock in the morning in Liverpool, England, don't make me cry, Roy. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, could go, I think I could go right now. I think I could die right now. <laughs> That's pretty good. The highs again. The highs again. The idea that me, one of the largest Beatle fans in North America, I don't know, there's a lot of you. But, I mean, it was such a thrill. Wow. And he, it just shows you the power of a film. Yeah. And so I, much of my career, I've always wanted to do some parodies, like you just heard of me doing All My Loving, but the Beatles were the inspiration for me always to be around a microphone, and probably for you, Don, too. Oh, I mean, absolutely. you probably got into music business in large part, not completely, but in large part because of the Beatles. It's all connected. I can't, yeah, I can't imagine most musicians over the age of 40 who weren't influenced by the Beatles. So it was an amazing thrill. And there's so many stories, Don, we could talk about oh, of I, musicians. I, I want to talk about one right now that I had a quick, uh, crazy experience. I was writing 
a song with a guy named uh, Neil Frasher, a great songwriter here in Nashville. And uh, we and that song actually ended up getting cut, so that was a good day to all, all the way around. But the um, writing the song and Art Garfunkel walks in our door. Okay, out out of nowhere he goes, "Hey guys, that song you're working on, you guys sound great. That's keep it up. That sounds wonderful." And he just says, "Well, see you later," and he walks out the door. And we're going. I looked at Neil. I go, Neil, are you friends with Art Garfunkel? He goes, Vaughn, I've never met him in my life. Wow. And I go, that's the craziest thing. Art Garfunkel just walked in our door, and you have a Art Garfunkel story, I do believe. This is this is a story, Don, I heard literally yesterday. Wow. As we're as we're recording. This is a true story. I just did it for my I do a show on YouTube every week. In 19, roughly 62 or 3, Art Garfunkel, obviously just, he's going to college at Columbia University. He meets and he becomes friends with a guy named Sandy Greenberg. Uh, Sandy Greenberg was a brilliant guy, and uh, they became very good friends. They were roommates, as I mentioned. They love music. They love art. They love uh, films. And they're both brilliant guys. And they become super fast friends, close, like inseparable. But the sad part of the story is, his, his, Sandy's eyes started bothering him. He went to a doctor, make a long story short, he's going blind with glaucoma, okay? So this guy is despondent. He, he lives in Buffalo. He wouldn't answer people's phone calls. He wouldn't answer letters. He just, re, he shut off. He was so depressed. One day the door, knocks on the door and it's Art saying, hey, I'm not gonna let you give up on life. You're gonna go back to school with me we're going to room again, and all your dreams are going to come true. He goes, oh, leave me alone. He goes, I want you to do it. He goes back to school. Sure enough, this guy ends up going. He's an Oxford graduate at Harvard after he went to Columbia. This guy was brilliant, right? But this is the part that really touched me, this part of the story. He's going blind. So Art takes it upon himself to take him around the campus, arm in arm, with his blind was this blind friend of his, or going very, very close to blind. Right. And he calls himself darkness. He, Art, calls himself darkness. He goes, all right, darkness is going to read you a story today, uh, 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 Sandy. Darkness is going to sing you this song, darkness. And they kept saying darkness, darkness, darkness. Okay, so now Simon and Garfunkel are just starting. It's around 64, 65, something like that. They have a song called The Sounds of Silence. Mm -hmm. The opening line is, Hello, darkness, my old friend. Oh. Hello, darkness, my old friend. That line came from his friendship with Sandy, but here's the most amazing part of the story. Simon Garfunkel's first record was not a hit. It was Sounds of Silence. That's the only song from the album, but the album wasn't a hit. The song goes number one, but before that, they were really scuffling. They had no money. They needed $400 to record the album. Wow. So Sandy Greenberg, going blind, has $400 to his name. Oh, my. He gives it all and art. They record the album, and the rest is history. Wow. But they, they were friends. They're still alive. He, both of them, obviously, still right. art is still alive. But the Sandy is like seven, is 79 or 80 now. And he tells a story about... Art used to take him around Manhattan in the subway system, and one day he literally, literally forgot, I mean, deliberately, I shouldn't say forgot, he deliberately let go of him, and he let Sandy have to fend for himself blind in a subway. But he was secretly behind him the whole time. 
but he wanted him to feel like what it's like to be independent and not need people. They never forgot their friendship. They never forgot that moment of support. He never forgot getting the 400 bucks for Simon and Garfunkel. They wow. remained great friends. But the opening line from Sounds of Silence is, Hello, darkness, smile. Wow. Isn't that amazing That is story? incredible. And it's a positive story about life. And if you care about people. You love people, and it comes back in in, in, in space. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking that Roy needs to put out some audio books. Because, I mean, I, just, I have an audio does. book. Do you? You do? Yes. Well, my, yeah. my, la my, my latest book is called, um, that's what I'm talking about. It's on audio, but it's also right. available on Amazon. And, if, folks, if you want to have me sign it, you can go to RoyFireSnow.com. I also wrote a children's book about a dog named Kobe, who is my dog who I adopted after we lost Kobe Bryant, which is a whole different part of the story. Yeah. But uh, I decided to write a children's book, and we donate all our proceeds to Animal Rescue for wow. Labrador Retriever Rescue. Oh, so beautiful. I've been very fortunate, very blessed. But we're going to just talk stories today, Don. Yeah. I love telling stories, and you love hearing them. I do love hearing <laughs> them. I, I just, I tell you, the, uh, uh, the 60s, we're talking about some of the greatest music of all time, and I want to get... You know, Raymond and Roy, I want to get your like thoughts. I feel like when we praise the great music of the sixties, uh, we're, we're sounding like we're a little bit old or something, but I truly believe a little bit. Yeah. I truly believe bit, yeah. that the, that was a magical time, uh, of creativity and greatest bands. Uh, and there's a song that you do, uh, from the sixties from one of my heroes. His name is Glenn Campbell. And oh, uh, Glenn Campbell, if you ever get a chance to check this out, you could go on any YouTube clip, Roy, anyone from 1965 up to 1991 when he was having hit songs all through that time. You, right. He never sang a flat note, perfect pitch. No, he never. You no. won't find and him a, sing a flat note. He, he, he could have. He could have made millions of dollars just being a studio musician, right. which he was. Great guitar player, played on tons of stuff. In fact, in fact. Glenn Campbell probably is on a, a thousand recordings, right. including Viva Las Vegas. That's his. How about? I got guitar. one for you, Roy. I got uh, one for you. On uh, you know, of course, I toured a lot with Kenny Rogers. Glenn Campbell is on. Just dropped in to see what condition my condition was. Really, first edition, wow. and the only part he's on is that crazy intro, that psychedelic intro. Man. That's him. He could do it yeah. all. Well, anyway, so Don was on the ship with us when I did my show, and I am such a Glenn Campbell fan. I think he's probably my favorite all-around individual singer-musician. Yeah. I think he's probably one of the greatest guitarists we'll ever see in pop music. Musician. And I took, I took the liberty of doing something where I sing literally with Glenn playing the guitar on my screen behind me, and we cut it out of YouTube or something, but... It was, it was really an homage, but I'll give you a very quick backstory before we listen to this clip, that Jimmy Webb was on a tractor as a 14-year-old kid in Laverne, Oklahoma in 1961 or two, and he heard something on the radio uh, that, that uh, Turn Around, Look at Me was the name of the song, and he heard it on the transistor, and he went, wow. I want to be a songwriter. I want to write for whoever this guy is because he's got a great voice. And he was so excited, he, 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 he took his tractor into a ditch. He, he, and his father gets pissed. He runs and he goes, Dad, 
I had a, a moment today. He goes, I don't care. You, you got to worry about the crop here. These, there's 1,500 people live in Laverne, Oklahoma. He says, Dad, I don't, I don't want to be in the crops anymore. I want to write songs. He goes, you're not going to be a songwriter. So Jimmy writes a song at 14 called By the Time I Get to Phoenix. Wow. He gets it to Glenn Campbell, the guy who was singing Turn Around, Look at Me, right. and his dream came true. I mean, the first time he met Glenn, Don, was at the Grammys the night they, they won the award. Oh my. He had never met him before. So we, we want to play you again. I am not Glenn Campbell. I am a poor, poor, poor example. But this is an homage to Glenn where I sang on stage. Is it Wichita Lyman? Yes. Now, this is Wichita. This song is perfection, Roy. This is, a, this is a perfect song. It's a perfect song. I love this song. It's the best song. It's one of the greatest songs ever, I think, pop songs ever yeah. written. So we'll play that, and we'll talk some more. I started as a disc jockey before I became a sportscaster. And uh, I love telling stories of the backstories of music. And I know you're going to love this story because it's got a surprise ending. Um, and it starts in a place called Laverne, Oklahoma, 1961. Less than 1,900 people lived there then, even fewer today. Truly a one-horse town. A 14-year-old boy named Jimmy, he was the son of a preacher and his wife. This kid, Jimmy, was working on a tractor on the field when a song came on the transistor radio. It was this song. There is someone walking behind you. was called Turn Around, Look at Me, and it was recorded by a young singer with the last name of Campbell. Now, Jimmy was on the tractor plow, and he was so excited when he heard the song that he drove his tractor into a ditch. It was, he said, the most beautiful song I ever heard. That night, and for next several years, Jimmy would dream and pray. He'd say, Dear Lord, if it be your will, one day will you help me write a song half as good as Turn Around, Look at Me, and could I be fortunate enough to have that Mr. Campbell, whoever he is, record one of my songs? Ladies and gentlemen, six years later, before he was 20 years old, Jimmy had an old song called, By the Time I Get to Phoenix. He got the song to Campbell all right. His name was Glenn Campbell. Now the song was one of the most recorded songs in 50 years of music. It won a Grammy. And that Jimmy, of course, was the legendary songwriter Jimmy Webb, who first met Glenn at the Grammys the very first night. For most of the next four decades, Jimmy Webb and his new friend Glenn Campbell became an international sensation. He wrote numerous number one hits, including Up, Up and Away and MacArthur Park, Galveston, and I certainly tell this story. Because Jimmy Webb will attest that prayers and dreams and hopes and hard work can really pay off. And also because Glenn Campbell is gone now. We love Glenn Campbell and we love Jimmy Webb. And ladies and gentlemen, this is my favorite song of all time, Glenn's song. I have the lineman for the county And I drive the main road Searching in the sun for another Your time line, baby, 
come true for me because electronically anyway I was able to not only perform with the Beatles I performed with Glenn Campbell on stage too and I get to sing as Glenn played guitar pretty cool pretty cool there's a moment you know they do yeah, no, sorry uh, oh no I was just gonna say I would love to see that I, I I really enjoy they do that with Freddie Mercury mm-hmm. Queen does that live a lot that's yeah. fantastic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and Paul McCartney right now is doing um I got a feeling I love that song. in his live show where he does a duet with John so at least we can recreate that that great feat. I got to feel it. But the Campbell thing was amazing because, uh, as you know, Don, he had Alzheimer's and, and Ray, too. You know, he had Alzheimer's late in his life. He did something like 50 shows yeah. in the throngs of Alzheimer's. And the last thing to go among people who have Alzheimer's is music. They can still he was playing as good a guitar as he right. ever had up until the last two or three months of his life. And he was doing shows. They had to put everything, all his lyrics on teleprompter, and they had to tell him on the teleprompter what's next because he would repeat the same song if they didn't watch it. But it was—it's it, an amazing story. Uh, Glenn Campbell did fifty, maybe maybe sixty shows with, with Alzheimer's, and, and so did Tony Bennett. You know, True. you saw that thing. Most people saw that thing with Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett. That was remarkable. Right. That was so moving to me because Tony, it clicked in. Even though he doesn't know anybody's name, he gets on stage 
hey, this is great. I love everybody. You know, he, he's Tony Bennett because he realizes this is what he was destined to be. At 95, 96 years old, he got up on stage at Radio City Music Hall and he sang his little butt off and like Tony Bennett. And it's such a beautiful thing, man. Music is the greatest because it's the passion, but it's also the last thing that leaves the brain. And I also think, to, to add to that little metaphor, it's the last thing that leaves the heart mm -hmm. to music. Yeah. If, you if you love music and you're moved by music, as I have been, and Don and Ray, you have been, it's the last thing you want to give up, man. Just don't take away my tunes. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not even a question. I mean, uh, yeah, you, you said it very eloquently. That's, it, 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 to me, it's how I know God exists. Well, that's, yeah. yeah. I'll tell you, I, I, well, I, I, I was at uh, Jack Green, uh, Roy, he's a, a great Opry legend. He was a great Opry legend and was well, actually, he is. I know actually was in uh, 1967. He was a male vocalist of the year in country music, uh, back in the day, he played drums for Ernest Tubb. Uh, but he, wow. he, um, I was at his 80th birthday party and he was basically couldn't, his vision was gone and he had Alzheimer's really bad. Didn't know who anybody was. He got there and did Statue of a Fool and there goes my everything. He grabbed the mic. And tore, uh, tore it up, Roy. I mean, saying sure. it beautifully. There was a dry eye in the house because I mean, just like this guy can't remember, you know, who anybody is, but he grabbed that mic and sang the song as if it was the first time he's singing it. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You know, I, I'm not as, as, as connected as you are, Don, in the country world, but I've had because of my, I did fundraisers and stuff. And as you said, we did one for the children's hospital, but I got to meet Chet Atkins. That's right. I got to do a, a song on the Opry stage for Tommy Lasorda's benefit with Loretta Lynn. Hello. <laughs> Hello. The cold mother's daughter, queen of country music. And Roy Acuff was still alive. I met him. I, and they were, you know, a guy like Roy and Vince Gill, a huge sports fan. Yeah. He just wants to talk about football and base. I mean, he's the biggest sports fan, much more so than you would think about music. I mean, of course, he obviously loves music, but he could talk for hours on sports. And uh, we talked about uh, baseball and football and Garth Brooks is another Huge. guy. He wanted to talk about your, you know, Don's a big Steeler fan and Garth Brooks is a huge Steeler fan. All, he came on my show. He says, I just want to talk sports. I said, you're Garth Brooks. You got to talk about some other things, too. I mean, there's so One of my favorites, if I may, Don, is, is the transition to my story about Elton John. Yes. I'm doing an interview at Elton, for, with Elton John. I want to say this is around 2003, something like that. Anyway... <laughs> I, he, he comes on the show and goes, you know, I want to do your show because I know who you are. I'm going, you don't know my name at all. But he goes, because I want sports. And I'm going, ha ha, this is going to be fun, right? Yeah. He's going to just, he'll blow it. He won't know anything, right? He goes, before we start, I want to talk about the Atlanta Braves. He says, you know, Bobby Cox is a friend of mine. John Sherhouse is a friend of mine. And I told them that we've got to have, Raphael Fakal should be in the number two position in the back <laughs> I'm going, what? And I said, you, someone's, someone's putting me on here. He goes, oh, no, I've been a Braves fan for 35 years. I watched it from the first time I lived in Atlanta. Uh, like I watched my soap operas at first, and then I watched the Braves. I learned how baseball. He says, I knew everything about I said, you go, he goes, go ahead. He goes, ask me about the, the, the Richmond Braves pro, uh, prospects. 
I saw like as a joke. I said, okay, ha ha. He's telling me about Chipper Jones and all these guys. And I said, this is crazy. He knew more about the Braves than I did. And I said, what is it about sports that you love? He goes, it's just you can do it by yourself. I'm in a hotel room or I'm in my, my house and I can't go anywhere. And it keeps me occupied. It gets my mind off the music and I could watch sports. He had such a great time talking about the Braves. And then he says to me the greatest thing. This is you're going to love this, Don and Ray. He goes, you know, when I do my shows and the Braves are in the playoffs, and by the way, last year the Braves won the World right. Series. Yeah, goes, right. I put, I have them put the game in my earpiece as I play in the show. I know the show, but I want to listen to the ball game. I said, are you kidding? Are you kidding me? He goes, no. And as a matter of fact, when he goes, when the Braves lose, I'm so pissed off, I can't get motivated to play any longer. So I just cut it, cut the show short. And I went, what if they win? He goes, oh, when they win, he goes, I'll do another five or ten songs. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I, I try to liken it to anybody at that level. Yeah. Of, I mean, McCarty didn't know that much about sports. Right. But, I mean, Elton John is an expert on baseball. I was shocked. He, that. He's one of my ultimate so, heroes. I, I love Elton so much. Oh, man. Yeah, as, as a piano player, I, I, I've played a lot of Elton John over the years. And he's also... Probably no surprise. He's a huge soccer fan. Years yes. ago, years he ago, the team. He, yeah. owned he owned Watford. He owned yeah, he, he, I, years ago, I dated a gal whose dad, her, her father was a guy named Keith Weller, and he had he had had the goal of the decade one year, and oh. he said, "Yeah, Elton came to find him." And same thing, like your story, Roy, is he came up to him and thought he was just you know he was a fan of her dad. But he sat there and talked about defense and offense. And why was this guy back here? And you should have been, you know, why did they put him in? When I walked into Elton's dressing room, he was watching Sports Center. (laughs) You know, know, it's not not that unusual, maybe, for most people. But for Elton John, you you don't expect to see him at Sports Center. And he's watching golf. He's he's flipping through the channels. I've never seen anything like it. But he says it's... He was, you know, he got, that's part of the way he got out, got sober because he st- his new addiction mm. became the Braves. There you go. He started watching the Braves yes. and learning about the Braves. So that was his thing. But there's so many people like that. Billy Joel once told me he was an amateur boxer and he, he won about 11 fights in a row until he got, he got battered by some guy. But he says, the reason I took up boxing is I used to have piano lessons and I had my little briefcase with all my sheet music. And these gangs in uh, Oyster Bay, Long Island, would beat the hell out of me every time because they thought I was, you know, feminine or something because I was taking music lessons. And he said, the hell with this. I'm going to just take up boxing. So he he went to the gym for six months. He got himself in tremendous shape. And sure enough, the same thing happened. The bullies came back and he's clocked some guy, knocked him down. And the rest of them were shocked. He goes, anybody want more of this? And they all took off. They all ran. So Billy Joel's whole, you know, life was obviously music and playing the piano. But it took that boxing to get him the confidence to to not be ashamed, really, of playing music. So my other it's just my other hero, Billy Joel. I just, uh, and you know what? Uh, he's influenced so many people. That all it's all connected. The Elton, uh, the Beatles influenced Elton John so much and Billy Joel so much. And then we get all these great songs from those guys. This trickles down to someone like Phil Vassar, 
who's uh, my friend, oh. who's such an amazing singer songwriter here in Nashville. Uh, that I, oh. I knew Phil when he, we were living in apartments by each other. <laughs> we first came to town. We both we were in apartments down on Bell Road and there in Nashville. Uh, you know, just struggling trying to keep the lights on. And I, I heard this guy one time. I said, "Man, this guy is uh, is going to do something." There's no doubt about it. And he was just he would do a song of his and then a Billy Joel song, a song of his and an Elton John song. You know, and uh, I think. He, uh, you were telling me you actually uh, work with him or you did an interview with him? Yes, I, I, I worked with Phil Vassar at, for the Los Angeles Open. We had a party there. Then he, you know, I, I, I obviously was familiar with his work. He's just a great, great songwriter. And I I started to talk to him afterwards because I was wearing something with an Oriole logo because I'm a big Oriole fan. I was Bat Boy when I was a kid. He goes, Orioles? I said, yeah. He goes, I'm the biggest Oriole fan. I mean, I'm from Virginia. I love the Orioles. I love the old 70s. He's telling me all this stuff in the 83 birds. And we forgot talking about music. All he wanted to talk about was the Orioles. And he's an amazing singer-songwriter. He's one of the best in the business, you know. I mean, we were talking to Don, Mike Reed from the Cincinnati oh. Bengals. The great so he wrote does, um, the Bonnie Raitt uh, turn. I can't make you love me, you know. Yes, I can't make you love me. He wrote, he he wrote, wrote 13 that. number ones, Roy, for Ronnie Millsap alone. Just Ronnie Millsap, wow. 13 of the number one. Tremendous, tremendous talent. You know, as you can probably tell, Don, and you know it, Ray, Ray is learning this, I just as soon do an interview show with musicians <laughs> than athletes because it's my passion and it's my love. Uh, are we going to play some, What else do we have, Ray, that we can talk about what I do? Do you want to show the impressions bit? Yeah, I, 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 you know, I'll tell you what, if I, if I can be uh, uh, selfish, I say we play the whole thing. I mean, okay, it starts well, out. Yeah, it, it's, about, it's about eight minutes, though. But it, it's actually eleven minutes. I've I've, listened, I've watched it twice, my friend. I watched it twice, my friend. So yeah. So I want to say something. Real quick. Go ahead. Uh, I don't. I don't know if it's on YouTube or anything. I, I came home again from uh, uh, the road. Actually, I was on the road with my brother, and I got back on the road. And I turned the TV on, kicked back. I'm gonna try to catch Roy, you know, show. And I'll never forget this. I, I don't even know if this is on YouTube or anything, but one show, Roy. You were with the late Danny Gaines. Uh, they hope oh, Danny, Danny, yeah, Danny Gaines. Yeah. And Danny, yeah. you guys did the, uh, I don't think it's ever been done before or since. You guys did the national anthem as like 20 different people. <laughs> right. It was like you Danny, for, for those who may not remember, Danny was a marvelous impression. Probably the, one of the best in, sh in the showrooms in Vegas. I think he was the best. Huge we became friends. By the way, he's a baseball, he was a baseball prospect for the Dodgers and blew his knee. And that's what happened to his career. That's why I became an impressionist. So Danny came on my show. It is on YouTube. I don't know how you can find it, but okay. uh, we both did the national anthems with Danny Gans and Roy Firestone. And I played Johnny Mathis, which I have another story about that. I played played Sinatra. He played Willie Nelson. We started about trading back and forth, line after line. And we, we I did Tony Bennett. I, I, we had such a great time. I'd love to see about eight or ten of your favorite, say eight, of your favorite singing stars all performing the national anthem at once. Let's start it off with this way. I'll start as Johnny Mathis, you go as Frank Sinatra. Here Sounds we go. Good. Marty, the national anthem, start with Johnny Mathis. Frank Sinatra. That was marvelous. 
was so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce a dear personal friend of mine, Mr. Gordon uh, Bigfoot. Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah, whatever. Mr. Willie Nelson, ladies and gentlemen. Willie Nelson. For the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. Mr. Neil Diamonds. And the rockets red glare, the bombs bursting in there, get through to the nights. Mr. Stevie Wonder. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> oh, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. I think that's wonderful. This is Carol Channing. Oh, say, guys, that sky spangled banner yet wave. Ray Charles, ladies and gentlemen. Over the land, over the free. Oh, you got the right one, baby. Yeah, yeah. And then, and now here's Doolin' Lewis. You see. Yeah, good to see you, pops. Tragically, he lost his life, uh, I guess it's probably 15 years ago. Um, uh, he, he was a, a, a wonderful guy. But it's on there, too. So let's play some of the impressions or whatever you want, Ray, and we'll talk more about that. This time. This is me on stage, folks. All the voices you hear singing-wise are me. This is the Sinatra crowd, right? But I thought, what if Sinatra was still around in the 90s and stuff where he wanted to perform for younger crowds? Hi, Kathy. And uh, I thought, what would it be like if Sinatra wanted to sing a village people song? It would still sound pretty good. Sinatra doing the village people. Young man, I was once in your shoes. I said, old man, I once had the blues. I know there's a place you can go. And it's even wonderful if you're hanging out in the Warren Disco. A two, three, four, YMCA, YMCA. You can do anything, it's your personal choice. You might even want to hang out with all those Warren Ohio boys right here in YMCA. YMCA. Right, 
gentlemen, put your hands together for the legendary Smokey Robinson! music on American Top 40. All the music you loved and some you despised. Let's start with the fabulous 50s. Back when air was clean and sex was dirty. The year was 1957. Gas was 28 cents a gallon. A time for lovers dancing close and a good 10 years before everything went into the crapper. Here's Johnny Mathis and Misty. Look at me. Oh, oh, look at me. 
Now, now it's time for another young crooner, crooner from Queens, New York, the legendary Tony Bennett, still singing at 91. I left my heart Hey, back to Seawall, Ohio In San Francisco Hey, good to see you Above, above the blue stand up a few more years to the year 1969. A big record that year came from a movie called Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Here's B.J. Thomas and Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. The raindrops are falling on my head And just like the guy is free to do before he's back No one seems to fit Casey's countdown continues to the year of flowered shirts, big hair, and really bad turquoise jewelry. You remember the year. The year was 1975. An album called Silk Degrees and a singer with the weird name of Bob Skaggs showed the microphone. Do you remember this record? Actually, I don't, but it doesn't matter because here's Bob Skaggs. Everybody wanna sing, everybody gotta dance, everybody gotta find the river day. Gotta have a jump for this, gotta have a jump for that. Just keep with the jumps and buy it just stay where it's at. I wonder, 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 wonder who. I wonder, wonder, wonder who. It's time for the folk era, 1974, and a Canadian folk singer by the name of Gordon Lightfoot was making a hot foot to success. Here's the man who once spent three days in a coma with his big hit called Sunburn. I was sitting in the sun and I started to scream because I didn't wear black and I didn't wear cream. Sunburn, I didn't take skin was fair Sunburned I didn't take care and it all kind of started on a golden chain Gordon Lightfoot right there Well 
Casey's countdown continues to the year 1974. We'll never forget this year because it was a great movie by the name of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And we remember this one as the legendary Mr. Entertainment, Sammy Davis Jr. took to the stage. Hey kids, I'm gonna do this little ditty for you right now. Here we go. Who can make the sun rise? Sprinkle it with dew. Cover it with chocolate and a miracle or two. The candy man. Oh, the candy man can. Well, you know, we're almost out of time on Casey's Countdown, but we would be remiss if we'd include one of the great singer-songwriters of all time, a man who hails from the Bronx, New York, and a true American singer-songwriter. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Mr. Neil Diamond and Coming to America. All the people around the world come to America And they come with their flag unfurled Oh, come to America And they come with a single joy Oh, come to America And they come with a girl and a boy That's fantastic. Hey, I got to ask you, Roy, how did you how, how did you go about picking which artist you were going to do there? Uh, well, it had a little bit to do with the fact that I was a fan that that when I did Johnny Mathis, I don't know if it's on there. I think it is. Uh, I, I always thought that Johnny Mathis was one of the best ballad and, mm -hmm. and you know, 50s, early 60s singers out there. He could sing it. You know, he's still going. He's 88 years old. Wow. He's still going. And so he comes on my show. And this is, again, in keeping with our, our theme here. Did you know he was a long jump, one of the best long jumpers in America in 1956? And the only reason, and he qualified for the Olympics, the only reason Johnny Mathis didn't um, go to the Olympics is he signed with a Columbia Records. And they said, make your choice, Olympic career or singing career. He decided to go to singing. But he was, uh, so he comes on the show and I do, look at me. You know, I'm doing that, right? He's cracking up. I said, look, we want to play a tape now. And it was me in, in Las Vegas. I played with Lou Rawls and I had Johnny Mathis doing the national anthem. He listens to the tape. He goes, how did you get me to do that? I said, what do you mean? He goes, how did you get me to do that? I said, that's not you. That's me. He goes, no, really, seriously. Oh, my. I said, that's, he couldn't believe that that wasn't him. I had to, con this was on the air, Johnny Mac. What a lovely guy he was. He was great. So that's it, Ray, and to answer your question, 
a lot of the people of Sinatra, obviously, I got to host an event with Sinatra once, the long story. Uh, uh, Tony Bennett was a hero. I did Tony Bennett. Smokey Robinson, I see a lot in Los Angeles. In fact, he heard that I did an impression of him. And we were, I'll never forget this, we were in a, we both had laryngitis once, so we're both at an ear, nose, and throat, and we're in the waiting room, and there's Smokey walks in. He goes, Roy Firestone, my voice is gone. He says, but I hear that you did an impression of me. Maybe you could open for me in Las Vegas tomorrow night. I went, <laughs> wow. So, yeah, so obviously it didn't happen, but he had no voice left. He said, you oh. could fill in for me. So Smokey, uh, who else do I have? I have, oh, B.J. Thomas. We just lost BJ. We just lost BJ. The, I yeah. know. Last year, one of the great guys, one of the sweetest people, I got, and, and, I, and I'm not going to do it now, but I, he's in the, it's in the video here. I mean, the audio you just heard. But I always like, I just can't help believing. I always love that song, oh. right? And, or, or, I hooked on a feeling. Yeah. So I'm doing it. Uh, my friend, Ray drops my friend Steve Tyrell, who you probably know. He, he produced on Scepter Records, BJ. So we're in the gym, and he says, hey, I got somebody on the phone, Roy. Just do, I, can't, I just can't help believe it. <laughs> so I'm doing, I'm doing an acapella over the phone, and I said, who is this? He goes, hey, this is Billy Joe Thomas. This is BJ. That was great. He goes, Roy, I see you on the sports all the time. He goes, I didn't know you did this. And I'm sitting there stunned. He's one of my idols. <laughs> so this stuff happens all the time I get, I've had a chance in my life and so have you Don, to be on, to share some space oh. uh, with with some of the people we've loved. Rubbing elbows, rubbing elbows. Rubbing elbows, but you more than, Don, you more than rub elbows. You're a legit, wonderful musician and singer, Thank you. songwriter, all the things you are. And I, it was such a great thrill to, to be on that cruise with you. We'll do it again. I hope so. But we, we learned so much. And then all you wanted to talk about was sports. All I wanted to talk about was music. That's exactly what happened. And, you know, uh, going back to what we were talking about earlier about the singers and the, uh, the athletes who want to be singers. Now, some of them are, like you mentioned, are just amazing talents and, and it can do both. Like, like Vince Gill can do the sports amazing. That's vice versa. Oh, but and what a golfer he, and what a golfer yeah, he is. Too. Uh, every sport I've ever done with Vince, he's been great. We, we did a couple of celebrity softball things together and he's a great, he's oh, great yeah. in the field. He's great. Yeah, but oh, I yeah. got one though. I became friends with uh, Larry Holmes, former heavyweight champ of the world. I'm sure you've interviewed yeah. Larry on the show many times. Oh yeah, and Eastern Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania. Now Larry right. went so far as to put together a show with Joe Frazier in Atlantic City, even. And I sang at Larry's house. He, you know, he got he put a band together, and he goes, he called me country. He's always called me country. Get up here, country, sing with me. So we're we're singing, and I I love Larry, but Roy, I, I hope he's not listening. But, um, it's, he cares. No, he loves to sing. And neither, and neither could Joe. And neither could Joe. No. Neither could Joe. Now they, they, Larry loves to sing, but he's not very good at that. But that no. also uh, ties into the. But who's who's gonna tell? Who's gonna tell? Him, right? <laughs> who's Larry? Who's gonna tell the Eastern Assassin? Not me. Uh, Especially right. in his house. No, no, definitely not gonna happen. Well, I, I, I remember Oscar De La Hoya wanted to be a singer. All these guys wanted to be a singer. But there's a reason they're boxers and not singers. <laughs> well, speaking of boxers, the other uh, hero, uh, pretty much everybody's hero, my wife and I got to meet in Hawaii, and that's the great Muhammad Ali, who fought right. Larry Holmes. Um, 
And uh, unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. too late. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you have a, a great thing with uh, with Muhammad Ali. It's amazing. Well, I, I, it, it's, it might take a couple of minutes to tell this story, too, but that's a true girl. story. It, ha- it happened to me uh, in my very first job. I'm from Miami, Florida, originally. As I mentioned before, I, I was just a young kid getting in the business. I was literally 21. The very first day I ever worked on television, my first TV interview ever was Muhammad Ali. So we, we became friends wow. for many, many. Start the talk, yeah, boy. Ever, my gosh. Ever. <laughs> It's a, it's 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 pretty much you you can shut it down after that, right? Yeah. He was you know he was it gave me the boilerplate interview. I'm so fast, and when I turn off the lights and get to bed, the lights haven't been turned off yet. By the time I get into bed, you know that kind of yeah. stuff. <laughs> so so we so we so we go to a nursing home, and I'm filming this for the ABC affiliate in Miami, and I'm following him around. He goes to the nursing home. There's about 75 or 80 people in there way into late 90s, early hundreds at this nursing home. And he had just beaten Fraser. So he walks in the room. He goes, I'm so great. And he sees like 70, 70 people, all of whom have no clue who he is because they're kind of, you know, dementia. Yeah. They don't really have right. a lot of. Finally, an old lady goes, aren't you clay? And I went, oh, God, this is not going to go well. Anyway, he goes into another room and he starts in again. I'm so fast. I'm so pretty. I'm the greatest of all time. I whoop Joe Frazier. What's my name? There's only one guy in the room. And he's an elderly black man. I'll never forget this in a wheelchair. And he's, the man says nothing. And Ali says it again. Do you know who I am? Do, who am I? And the old man doesn't say anything. So now Ali and six members of his entourage, they figure this guy can't really figure anything out. He's probably dementia. He can't speak. I was told later he didn't eat very much. He didn't talk to anyone. He was muted. He was in a wheelchair. So Ali starts to walk away. And as he's walking away, I see this old man like a light went on his head. And he, he suddenly connected. And he goes, hey. And Ali goes, hey, what? He goes, hey. I know, I know who you are. You know who I am? Yes, I do. You're, you're the champ. I'm 96 years old. I waited my whole life to meet the champ. Everybody in my family is dead except for me. And I waited my life to meet the greatest, the greatest. I love you, champ. Nobody could whoop you. You are the greatest of all time. I never miss you. I love you. And everyone's like ready to cry. It's so touching, right? So Ali goes back to this guy. He goes, you're right. I am the greatest. Now every, tell everybody in this room, old man, what is my name? And the old man goes, you Joe Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> so now here's, now here, this oh, is Don, God. Don and Ray. This is, why this is the best story. I tell it in my live show. Uh, everyone was stunned, and then finally the entourage guy started to correct the old man. Hey, old man, that ain't no Joe. That's not Joe. And Ali stopped them. He goes, no, come over here for a second. And I could hear them. He went off to a corner with six of these people. He started lecturing them. He started dressing them down. He goes, how dare you? How dare you correct an old man? You never correct an old man. Maybe his whole life, the only... Only thing he ever did was put food on the table for his children. Maybe the only thing in his life was work hard. And here he is in a nursing home and you were disrespecting him by correcting him. Don't you ever correct an old man. He said his dream came true in meeting the champ. And he said in his mind, the only champ that mattered was Joe Lewis. He goes, guess what, fellas? 
Tonight, my name is Joe Lewis. Now, I mean, you talk about everyone in that room got quiet. Gosh, and then we started, people started, people started to cry. Yeah. And he goes, you know something? In your whole life, all you have to do is uplift people, make people feel good about who they are. And then I thought of this famous quote. This is my act, and I talk about it. It's how far you go in life depends upon your ability to be tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, tolerant of the weak and strong and those who strive, because someday in your life, you will have been all of those things yourself. And Ali knew that in that moment. And he was trying to make that old man feel special. And I never forgot. That was the first week I was on television. I wow. never forgot that experience. He was something else. I did, Don, I must have done 50 shows, not 50, I would say 30 shows with Ali for Parkinson's. Who, as you know, he had Parkinson's right. at the very end. It was terrible. But he raised so we raised five million dollars. I say we, he, but I was on I was on the bill. Five million dollars in about 20 minutes once in Phoenix for an event called Fight Night. And he became he was my friend for years and years. I must have I must have dozens of photos with me and him. And he towards the end when he couldn't speak much, but he'd point a lot. Singing, or whatever he would say. And it gave me it gave me goosebumps that he he remembered us all those years before. The first time I met him was seven nineteen seventy five. So what is that? Forty seven years ago, and he remained my friend. A lot of people's a lot of people's friends, but but he remained my friend for much of my adult life. And that that story is a moving, but it's a true story. And you know what? More than ever before that, to me, that message that he tried to make somebody feel good is something we need to mention as, as important as anything else. We need to find a way, Don, with all our divisiveness in this country and all over the world, ways to uplift one another, to make somebody feel good, make their day feel special. And that's what he did. And he did it all the time. And that's why I will always love Muhammad Ali. Uh, special, special man. I, I remember the funeral even. He brought all the oh, yeah. uh, uh, religious leaders from all different uh, parts of the world. He brought them all right. together to his funeral. Like even in death, he was he was bringing oh. people together. He's a very and special, Bill, special and Billy, Christ, Billy Crystal uh, was one of the people who did the eulogy in my book, by the way. If I may plug again, uh, that's yeah, I, have I have an autographed copy, by the way. Yeah. I love it. But my book, there's a story about Billy Crystal and and how he knew Ali and how he ended up getting the opportunity to do the eulogy, which is otherworldly. You can't even imagine your dreams. Can't even imagine what that's like. So he was there. He told me some great stories about Ali. But I I used to love. You know, he used to love to do magic tricks, yeah. even when he couldn't speak. He would take do little strip rope things. <laughs> he would have such a kick out of showing me magic tricks. So he was magic. There's not anybody like him alive. I was going to ask mean, you. Not, I was going to ask you, Roy. Like, I mean, all the amazing interviews. I mean, I know you've interviewed Michael Jordan, Mike Tyson, and and uh, uh, presidents of the United States. I mean, yeah, uh, Nixon. Yeah, you've interviewed President Nixon for goodness sakes, and uh, he he was a big sports fan. Yeah. Yes. Uh, if I may, I'll just tell you another story. Uh, this is about 19, I want to say it's 92 or 93, 19. Um, it's like 30 years ago. He was he was the very end of his life. But they, the, the Nixon Library called me up and said, Mr. Pre Mr. President Nixon. By the way, I don't have to give you my political views, but 
he was not my favorite. Let's put it there that way. At the, at the time, at the time. I understand. President Nixon, he's a fan of your shows. He would like to have you interview him about baseball because he loves baseball. Well, I go to this thing and I'm not expecting much. I mean, I thought he'd, you know, maybe have a couple of things written on a card so he could look on. This guy was like Elton John. He knew guys in the 30s. He knew ball players and what their batting averages were. He was amazing. We're sitting there. And I'm thinking, you know, I've always enjoyed your show <laughs> with your dad. The show with your dad is one of my favorite. You do it on Father's Day, don't you? I said, yes, Mr. President. That's really startling to me. So he said, well, you tell your dad how much I enjoyed the interview he did with you on Father's Day. I said, I couldn't wait. In those days, we didn't go to a payphone because there was no cell phone in those days. I run to a payphone. I, I wake my father up. It's 11 o'clock at night. And they said, Dad. I'm interviewing Richard Nixon. Oh, Richard Nixon, that bum, he was a Watergate. He was a criminal. He was a terrible. I said, wait, 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 Dad. I said, <laughs> he just said he saw the show that you were on with me, and he thought you were terrific. It's his favorite show. My father goes, well, you know, he did a lot of good things, too. It was one of the great <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing the turnaround, right? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, you, man, so you interview oh, everybody. Uh, is there... Uh, it's, uh, this is a terrible question, but it, is there one that just like, if you had your crown jewel, like the, the moment, because uh, again, you're, you and Barbara Walters are notoriously known for making uh, famous, people famous cry. people cry. Like, it's like, like, uh, and again, well, here's, here's, here's my blanket answer. You know, I've, I've had Tiger Woods when he was super young. I, I obviously what people, he's not a tremendous interview, by the way. He doesn't give you that much because he's very, very cautious. Uh, I interviewed Will Chamberlain. I interviewed Charles Barkley, Jim Valvano. It's hard to, to, to eclipse those guys. But uh, I think the one guy I would have loved to have interviewed, and I missed him by about three years. I didn't, I didn't start in the business until 1975. Give you an idea how old I am. But uh, was Jackie Robinson. I oh, wow. Mm. Because I bet you he would have had some things to say. And he was a great man, a great figure. I think that that was the one guy that I most wanted to interview. Uh, there's nobody like him out there today. Uh, whatever your politics are, Jackie Robinson was a great figure. Mm -hmm. And he was the most seemingly the most interesting guy. People always ask me if living or dead, who which I would have liked to have interviewed Lincoln. That would have been pretty cool. Uh, Jack JFK, I would have liked. I, I mean, interviewing Nixon was a thrill for me because we got along so well, and I, as I said, it wasn't my politics, but it, it shows it. It's also stupid fighting over politics. You right. know, just get along. We're all going to turn to dust anyway. You know, let's enjoy each other's life. And he and I hit it off so well. He knew that I wasn't a fan of his politically, but we started talking, and he's telling me, I know you're a Brooks Robinson fan. I was just going to say, you know, Brooks is your guy. I know Mike Schmidt was one of my favorite, Eddie Matthews, and he's telling me, and so as we're packing up, the most touching, kind of thing, touching thing for me, he, he, we're packing up the gear, getting in with my crew to go home. And he goes, where are you going? I said, we got to go back to L.A., Mr. President. And he goes, well, come on, have a drink with me. Come on, we'll talk some more baseball. And I had to leave because my crew was leaving in those days. And I passed up a chance to have a drink with Nixon and talk baseball. And it was a sort of a regret for me, even though, again, I'll say again, it wasn't my politics, but it, we got to get past this stuff. We got to get past differences and just accept people for what they can offer us in their lives yeah. without hostility, without tension. 
And I need, we need to come back in that, to that place in this country. I don't know how, what it's going to take, but it was a cool thing to interview somebody who I differed with politically, but we got along great because baseball was a language. It was a communication yeah. source, and it was so much fun to interview. Well, there's so many, you've interviewed, you've worked with, uh, you've been around, and uh, like the, the holy grail of, of people in this world have contributed so much greatness to this world. You know, Muhammad Ali, Paul McCartney, Elton John, these are, these are the top of the top. And you're the top of what right. you do. Uh, you really are. You're, oh, the, thank you're you. the top. I don't of know about that, but I, you are. I I've always that. felt that way, and I I can say that with with uh, I, I've always felt that way, and, I, and again, a lot of people feel that way. Um, thank you. I want to I want to finish. Uh, for me, uh, I got one thing. I just remembered again. Talk about the holy grail of crooners, Mr. Frank Sinatra. Oh, and if I'm not mistaken, you have an amazing. You told me this one one time. Oh. Now, but you, okay. I got it. Yeah. The, the listeners got to hear this. I mean, you were okay. in an event with Mr. Frank Sinatra, and you actually—it well, became very important. amazing. Well, Don, thank you for remembering that, and thank you for having me here too. Thank we're you so much. Appreciate But I was doing a fundraiser for Tommy Lasorda. Now, I am in no way making fun of dementia or awkward moments with people who had too much to drink or whatever it was. But I introduced Sinatra at Bally's Hotel in Las Vegas. And I'm the MC, all dressed up. I have the pictures. And um, Frank Sinatra, let's just say he wasn't at his best in his, in his memory that night. And he had a pretty good-sized drink in his hand, too. So he may have had too many shots, let's say. So he gets up there. I introduce him, and, he, and he's not going to sing, but he's going to do three jokes about Tommy Lasorda, or four. And the first joke is like, Tommy Lasorda is my friend, but he's not the smartest guy I ever met. He couldn't spell ESPN. Number two, Tommy comes from a tough neighborhood. The teacher said, what comes after a sentence? And everyone said an appeal. You know, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> so he does, these, <laughs> he does these jokes, and they're on cards, too. So it's on teleprompter and on cards. But he forgets that the cards are the same jokes. So I look up, and I'm sitting a foot from him, and I'm looking at the thing on the prompter, and it says, end, the, the end of the show because he did four jokes and he was going to sit down. Okay, so I'm ready to get up. But then he looks down at the cards and he starts reading the cards, the same jokes, and doesn't remember that he oh. did those same jokes. Oh. So, and I, and I, I want to reemphasize, folks, I'm not making fun of this, but it, was, it turned into a comedy of bizarre uh, proportion. So now I have the unenviable position of having to get Frank Sinatra off the stage and you can't do that there, there was a lot there was a line in the audience with gregory peck i swear to god gregory, gregory peck, peck. Re, you know red buttons uh birdland all these people were in the front row and they're all going roy get him off the stage gregory peck is yelling at me to get him off the stage now sinatra is getting ready to do the jokes again a third time oh no so i'm, I'm in a panic situation and I see it in the corner of my eye, Roberto Duran, who was going to be boxing that week for this against Sugar Ray Leonard, he doesn't speak any English. So I'm trying to get him to, Roberto, Senor, Roberto, go to Senor Sinatra. And he goes, oh, yeah, my way. I said, no, no, yes, thank you, Roberto, but we need you to pretend like you're going to fight him or something. So he goes up to fight. He goes up onto the dais with his fists out. Sinatra sees him, and he thinks, because Roberto's wearing a tuxedo, he thinks it's the bus boy. <laughs> he, goes, 
He goes, Roberto, well, he goes, let me tell you something. And he'd say, Roberto, he goes, let me tell you something, mister. When I'm finished with my dinner, you can take my tray back to the kitchen. But I'm, t- I'm talking here. He, he didn't have any idea who Roberto Duran was. And finally, the audience starts to laugh because it's so ridiculous. I, I have to grab Sinatra. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, the great Frank Sinatra. And by the way, I didn't grab him too hard, yeah. I will add. But I sort of put my arm around it. I said, ladies and gentlemen, the old uh, Roberto Duran, Frank Sinatra bit uh, from the kitchen. Ladies, let's have a nice dance. Like it was part of the act. Oh, my and God. I, that's the only way I Classy. could get him off the stage. Classy. Amazing, 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 amazing. But that was my brush with greatness with Sinatra. That's amazing. Wow. Well, you know, I, I got I got to say, gentlemen, just sitting here listening to the two of you talk, it's one of the most powerful things. And I think that you've you've it's been a self fulfilling prophecy, Roy, because you've got two musicians. You got you know people know you as as you know this you know interviewer for the you know the in the sports world, and people know Don, you know in the music world, and both of you have these role reversals. Yeah. It's, what, it, it's, it's kind of a great reminder that it's what we don't know about people. And that at the end of the day, we all have more in common than we don't have in common. And if we this just is, tell stories and listen to one another, it's that's great. such a beautiful way of looking at it. And the other thing is, I mean, I told that Garfunkel story about him leading his friend uh, who was blind and about how it turned into something good for him because he got a loan for 400 bucks to get the album recorded. One thing is this, the lesson I learned in many of these stories is we need to find a way to be kind to each other. I don't care what our politics are. We have to stop the divisiveness and we need to start to realize that life, I mean, what's, what's more tragic than seeing poor Kobe Bryant lose his life at a very young age? Nothing is owed to us, folks. Nothing is guaranteed to us. Live your life with love and respect for other people, even if you don't agree about everything or even most things. We've got to find a way to get to get close to each other again. And I think music is part of it. Sports can be part of it. And uh, listen, I, I hope for the best. I hope for this country and this world that we can find a way. But, you know, we sure miss someone like Muhammad Ali who uplifted everybody. And that was my, my phrase in my life. If I had a calling card... It's this. It's just uplift one another. We need to find a way to uplift each other. Music can do it. Sports can do it. And I like to think that in my experiences, when I do my live show, and you do too, Don, that we do both uplift each other, uh, it, the audiences, I mean. And uh, that's that's an important thing for me. That's what I love about doing what I do. You do it great, Roy. At music and sports. You do both great. Thank you, and I appreciate it. I, my dream now is to do a duet with Elton John, but I don't think that's going to You and me both, boy. <laughs> Got the same dream. Um, that's right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Roy, for being on the show. So much. Definitely. What, what a beautiful, just such great stories, such great stories. And let me just throw Thanks one more plug in. If, if people want to buy the book, uh, they can go They can go to Amazon. I won't sign it there, but if they want me to sign it, go to RoyFirestone.com. The children's book goes to benefit animal rescue, especially dogs. I'm a big dog Labrador retriever fan. And if you're in the position of wanting to see my live show, again, you can you can yes. inquire at RoyFirestone.com. Don, of course, does millions of shows, but I love doing them. It's my favorite thing. And you get to see the Beatles piece and the Glenn Campbell piece in my live show. I just have such a hoot doing it and I have such admiration for Don Gatlin and all the things he represents. Thank you, Roy. So thank I, you for having me. You're an awesome, awesome, awesome guest. Uh, again, I was nervous because like, how do you interview the best interviewer in the world? 
that's that's really tough. I'm, uh, and and you made it easy. Thank you, sir. It's, it's so much fun. It really is. And we'll do it again. We're, we'll be, we'll do this show again too, some other time. We're going to be all uh, us three are going to go hit the golf course in Nashville, Tennessee. Play around the golf. It. Loser buys the drinks. So Raymond, <laughs> okay. uh, we won't let you down here. If you see your friend Phil Vassar, tell him that we're both Oriole fans and I really enjoyed meeting him. And same thing with Vince Gill and all those guys. They're great, you got great, it. great musicians. You got it. You remember me when the westward moves upon the field of Bobby. You can tell the sun in its jealous sky that we walked in fields of gold.